Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bikini in the Brain. I am here with the fully committed bikini Ashley. Let's look at these this shirt here today. She is looking (laughs) GTL'd with the pineapple hat to match the banana shirt. We went for it. I don't know why we went for it. We're we're dressed as tourists today. Yeah, we're dressed as tourists today. So tourists in in Vegas. Tourists, (laughs) tourists in Vegas. Yes. Now Ashley is uh, is a trooper today. She is sick, Ashley, today. You can hear it in her sick. voice. Yes, so I sound a little weird today. Um, hopefully I sound normal next week. So my apologies if it's not as pleasant as usual. Trooper, though. I said we could shoot it another day. She was like, no, no. we do podcasts on Monday. And so No, no. That's the, that's the, that, that's just, it's commendable because of the mindset that you have is like, no, this is my routine. It's going to happen on Monday. Like, that's just... I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. That's... uh, Unless I'm, like, really, like, if I can't get out of the bed, then I can't do it. Yeah. Actually, I'd probably just do the, the, like, a Zoom from, like, my (laughs) bed with a laptop. That's the... That's (laughs) one of the things... One of the... One of the positives about Ashley right there. One of the strong positives. She says she's going to do it. She's going to do it. So... You know, I try. You know? That's that's a cool thing. It goes back to our our last uh, bikini... Uh, what do you call it? Bikini cake uh, recipe or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Same thing, you know, dedication and saying, Hey, I'm going to say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. It's my routine. And, and I just want to put this out there because I know somebody's probably going to be like, Oh, that's so rude that you're going to get Adam sick. Well, Adam was actually was sick. sick. I'm pretty I, sure we had the same thing. Yeah. Uh, except for he got over his quicker. <laughs> yeah. I'm still sick. I coughed this morning. And, uh, yeah. And every time I, what's weird. Yeah. We have like the same sign. It's what I was asking. I was like, Hey, did you, I was texting. I was like, did I have, is your skin like really sensitive? And I was give, I was like washing myself with like a loofah, the sponge loofahs, right? That's what they're called. And it felt like it was like a wire bristle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's so, it hurts so bad to like wash myself right oh, now. Oh yeah, I had aches. I was yeah. achy. Right now, I don't feel like, I don't feel weak. Like I was feeling pretty weak over the weekend. <laughs> uh, but um, now it's more of just like in my head. Yeah. So now it's like headache. Um, stuffy nose, sore throat. So now it's all head related and my body seems to be doing okay. But yeah. yeah. Great. I think it's good timing to have it now versus <laughs> later for the, you know, the Olympia prep, but still, I mean, you don't want to get sick at all during Olympia prep. Yeah. This is like our first, like <laughs> this week is like, okay, this is our go week. We're going hard yeah, now. 12 we're 12 weeks, weeks out, out. <laughs> like, and we're sick. So yeah, well, I still you, got a good workout. Got your though. workouts in, did your posing class, did the uh, glute camp. Good. Mm-hmm. That was a good turnout. It was fun. So anyway, today's podcast is basically uh, training styles for different physiques, which I thought was a really good topic uh, because we go into, you know, different structures. And I was like, yeah, shout out to Milena for coming up with that topic. Yeah. Too, because these things, <laughs> they do matter. Um, how you train is going to matter. There is going to be some variances um, between everyone. And let's go ahead and see, maybe you're doing the right things or wrong things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you get to do it, you know, what's right for your physique, you know, exactly. and that's the thing. And that's why you know, we, we keep going into these podcasts where we talk about bikini as an art form. And this is probably one of the, one of the bigger parts of that art form mm-hmm. is, is being able to dissect and structure a plan for that physique, you know? So. Absolutely. This is like one of those examples that like, if I gave you my workout routine, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to apply to you in the same way that it would benefit me, you know, cause we're all different, just like diets. Everyone's macros are different. Well, everyone's training should be different because no one's the same. We all have different goals we're working towards. We all have different uh, genetics, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So like there's should be a lot of variances in your uh, trading program compared to somebody else's. Yeah. And so um, first thing we'll go over is like the three main different body types, which is 
going to be your ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. You guys have probably all heard those terms before. Um, and what, but what do they actually mean and why does it matter? Um, well, there's going to be different training styles for those. Not, and some of those are more diet styles too for those three than it is even training styles. Mm-hmm. So just on a basic rule of thumb, it's really rare that someone is a pure any of those things. So like a right. pure mesomorph is pretty rare. Um, there's, you know, a pure ectomorph is pretty rare too. So ectomorph, we'll start with that. That's the smallest one. Um, that's the more petite person. They generally have a really easy time with body fat. They don't generally, those are the kind of the skinnier people who don't have a hard time. They have a hard time actually gaining body fat. They're just always that they can kind of eat whatever, but they don't put on a lot of muscle either. Those are the hard gainers. You'd want to call them hard gainers, small bone structure, uh, hard time putting on muscle and hard time putting on body fat too. Just hard with any weight gain. Um, sometimes it'll be the little skinnier, softer people. That's a start. We're talking about starting structure, not your ending structure. Then you have your mesomorph, which is the structure that everyone would love to be born with. You know, at, at a conception, I'd be like, Hey, if I can make a deal with God, make me a mesomorph. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but be, they're more susceptible to body fat, aren't they? The endomorphs are. The, endomorphs. Oh, yeah, okay. the mesomorphs are the kind of the perfect combination now, as you grow up, it's as you go up in scale, um, you'll gain a, a little bit more body fat and a little bit more muscle is basically how it goes. But the mesomorphs generally have a pretty easy time building muscle, not the easiest time building muscle. Um, they have a good they have a good muscle base. They have a, a relatively good level of body fat. They don't gain body fat too easily. Um, they don't lose it. Uh, they, they lose it relatively fast. They don't lose it too fast. Like an ectomorph will lose it too fast, right? Lose it really fast. Um, and then you have... Um, and that's where you're going to find most success in like the bodybuilding division is these guys and then the endomorphs too. Now the endomorph generally going to be another bigger structure. So the mesomorph goes up a structure size a little bit, uh, more of a medium based structure. Then you have your endomorph structures, which is the bigger guys. These endomorphs, you're going to see a lot of these are going to be um, like NFL, like linemen type of guys, like big dudes. They're big people, big joints, big structures. And this is with, you know, goes into, um, bikini and women's bodybuilding and that type of thing too, but more endomorphs you'd find in like women's bodybuilding, that type of thing. So, um, bigger structures, bigger shoulder width. Now, harder time losing body fat, no problem building muscle. Okay. But really hard time losing body fat. Like these are the people that are doing the, the multiple hours of cardio to get stage lean. Um, you're not going to run into too many endomorphs in bikini division. You might run into some meso endos, which are kind of the, the mixture of the two, but you don't run into too many pure endomorphs because the structure is usually so big, it doesn't really, it, they'll generally end up in a bigger category, wellness, figure, or, or women's physique, something like that. Because um, where there's just, because it's just hard for them to keep their muscle down. And you've seen some combinations of mesoendos in the past who've tried to do bikini and then they ended up in wellness eventually type of thing. Those are the girls that just, they just didn't work out in bikini. They just didn't work out their legs at all in bikini and they're trying to run off their legs and keep their cardio up the whole time and they hated it, but that, but that's the only way they could compete in bikini. We've seen pros even do that and then they go to wellness and do better in wellness and things like that. So that's typically what you run into. And you can see their joint size and that's where you run into, where you can kind of visually see it is, is there. So those are the kind of the setup for this is where are you at with that? What is going to be your thing that you need to work on? If you're an endomorph, your diet should be really, really on point in the off season because it's going to be hard for you to lose body fat you're an ectomorph and you lose body fat super, super easy. Yeah. You know what? Maybe, um, and you have, you have a hard time getting muscle. Maybe, yeah, we do go into a caloric surplus and we gain a little bit and we gain a little bit of body fat more than the endomorph because we know it's going to come off you a little bit easier, right? The, the mesomorph kind of stay balanced right in the middle there. Um, 
good time with just keeping your body fat in check in the off season. It's not too hard for you to lose body fat. So it's just how are you going to approach it based on your body type and how you lose body fat too. Now, if you're an endomorph doing bikini, I'm going to say stay lean, stay lean, stay like we probably don't even ever go above maintenance calories because we're already, you already have enough muscle or it's easy for you to build muscle and we don't need to be in this huge surplus for you to gain muscle. So there we go. It's into the, the body types, um, body types there. Anything I missed there, you think? Uh, I think it'd be also, you know, we can tap into the, the cardio for that oh, as yeah. well. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, if you're already uh, struggling to put on muscle, it might not be wise to dedicate a lot of your energy to cardio, you yeah. know? And um, on the opposite end with the endomorphs, it might be a good idea to incorporate more cardio because they can't really uh, lose muscle that easily. But I think this is a great opportunity to kind of go into, uh, you know, the the fact versus myth of does cardio actually prohibit you from putting on muscle? Because there is a, a little bit of yes and a little bit of no answer to that. And I think you can explain it much better. Yeah. So excessive. So here's the thing. When there is always going to be, a, um, this is going to be kind of one of those like spectrum things, right? Like how right. much, right? So will cardio, as a blanket statement, will cardio cost you muscle? And the answer to that is no. Um, but also yes, right? Yes. So it's like, it's to what degree is really what we should be asking. It's not, so it's now your body, you got to understand every single way you train your body, your body's going to respond with. So if today I decided, hey, I want to train really fast and explosive. Well, I'm going to be better next week to be more fast, more explosive in my lifts. So that'd be great for, like we talked about, a football player who needs to explode off the line and block someone. That's a great way to train, right? So my body's going to be more prepared for that the more I train like that. So the same thing happens with cardio. Now, what are we doing when we train with cardio? We're working on the body's ability to take in oxygen to the muscle and perform and, and run for long distances using glucose as a primary source of energy. And we're also wanting to be efficient at that. So you don't need a lot of excess explosive muscle fibers. So one person's going to train explosive. So if I train explosive, that's now, now going to make me not as good at running long distances because I'm training explosive muscle fibers, which are designed to get me off the line real quick and block a guy, right? Or explode and jump really high one time, right? Now, I can't do both things on the edges of the spectrum in accession and expect them to be just as good at both. It just doesn't work that way. So I can't run a marathon and expect to be just as explosive as if I didn't run a marathon and train just to be explosive and I, and vice versa, right? I can't train to be super explosive and all I want to do is train explosive and expect my marathon times to get faster and faster. It's not going to, it's not going to work because there are two different ways that the muscle has worked and two different types of actual how you're developing the muscle. So in this one, you're going to develop your white muscle fiber, explosive fast twitch. You're going to be able to use a lot of the muscle really, really quickly, and then it's not going to have the best endurance. And on this one, you're going to use a lot of the red muscle fiber. It's going to have good endurance. But the other key to this one, the, the endurance-based muscle fibers, is they don't, they're not big muscle fibers. The red muscle fibers, they're they're smaller muscle fibers, and the more you train them, the more you're going to develop those, and the less you're going to have of the white muscle fiber in terms of size. Not in actual fibers. There's not going to be less of them. There's going to be less in size because that's what's in demand. So in order for me to run a very long period of time, I need to have to be an efficient vehicle, right? So when we think of efficient vehicles, we think of, we don't think of Hummers, right? And when we think of um, big, powerful vehicles, we think of like Hummers, right? So that would be the white muscle fiber, 
we think of efficient vehicles, we think of uh, a Prius, right? It goes for very long periods of time. And that's the kind of muscle you're going to develop, right? You're going to be with those Prius muscles, <laughs> long periods of time, not super flashy, right? But they're going to get you there. They're going to keep going. And that's what you're developing there. And that's why you see marathon runners and none of them look like Hummers, right? They all right. look like Priuses, right? And that's great because that's how they're training. So yes, the more you train like a Prius, the more you're going to look like a Prius, the more you train like a Hummer, the more you look like a Hummer. It's just, that's just the way it works, right? There's no way around that. So sometimes I'll get these one-offs and I'll get people like, yeah, I want to train for a marathon and I want to do a bikini competition. And I'm like, have you ever seen a marathon runner with crazy high glutes like that? Like it doesn't work, <laughs> not in today's bikini. Like it's super, super rare. And that girl would be very genetically blessed if she could do both. But you see like volleyball girls, volleyball players, they all have great legs, great glutes, right? Um, why is that? Well, they're explosive. They're not endurance athletes. They are explosive athletes. It's different. You see run, you see, um, sprinters, right? Great legs, great glutes, great shoulders, right? Explosive athlete versus an endurance athlete. So yes, the more you do endurance training, the less, the more you're going to look like that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're an endomorph, you probably won't be able to be very good at endurance sports. You're just not designed for it. You know, we, we kind of typically will migrate to sports that we're good at. And that's why, you ended up not being a cross-country runner. You know, you did hurdles, right? That was like perfect hybrid for what... I did cross-country, like, too. You did cross-country, too? In high school. Oh, okay. Not <laughs> okay, not at not college. Just for fun. Yeah, okay. But you would... That, there was. There's probably a better analogy out there. Like, okay. that's why I wasn't a shot putter. There you go. Oh, there you go. Okay, the other direction. All right. Because that's very... They're like huge. Endomorph, endomorph body types, right? Yes. Yeah, you, you fall into that middle category where you're explosive and... Uh, and still have decent distance, but not long distance. I didn't think, I didn't see you for a long distance runner. Well, with your you know, I just did it for fun to stay in shape. That's, I was good at it though. Really? I to states. I placed at states. That's good. In cross country. Yeah. Well, I mean, just did it for fun. That's but, it. Ruins the podcast. My uh, whole theory's off. <laughs> no, no. I, uh, but, uh, you know what else I never did? What kind of sports I never gravitated towards? Huh? Freaking team sports. F that. Yeah, you don't like team F sports. F that. No <laughs> one is going to hold me back from being yeah. great because somebody on my team sucks. That's It happens. F that. It happens, man. You know, that's why I was track, gymnastics, even did swimming. You, you know team what sucks sports, about no. team sports is that not... That what sucks about team sports is you'll, you'll play with these guys all year long, right? Like, and you practice two hours a day, like these high-level teams. And then you get to like the big show, right? You get to the big day. And you realize like not everyone can deal with the pressure the same way. Like mm -hmm. I was good in pressure situations with the team because I was like, the team needs me to be my best today. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't about me, but that's a mindset you'd have. And some guys would just fold under pressure and like, it'd be like a goalie. And you'd be like, you suck. Like, why are you rooting it for all of us? <laughs> it's like, and that happened with so many times where they never showed any signs of sucking until it got to the show. And then you get to this like world tournament and these guys just fall apart and you're like, it sucks. It does yeah. suck. It happens. It happened to me a few times. Goodness, and, I couldn't do that. Oh man, it's brutal. And you just train your whole, yeah. So that does, I do, there's a positive and a negative to team sports. I like <laughs> the camaraderie of the guys club, you know, when you're in like the locker rooms and stuff, but then, but then when that happens, you're like, man, team sports suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just never appealed to me. I was like, and on the opposite end too, I would want to feel bad if I messed up for the team. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like a uh, double, that's the worst double. Feeling. No, I missed a, I missed a, um, they t there was a, we went into a shootout for one of these tournaments and it was a big one and I missed the net, which is like, you can miss a shot. The goalie can block you. It's fine. But if you miss the net, like you're a total jerk. Like you ruin it for the, like. Even to this day, Adam wakes up in the middle <laughs> of the night in cold sweats thinking about yeah, this. I, it's, I, I, I don't remember. 
almost none of the goals I remember that I scored, but the ones I missed, I, I clearly remember. I clearly remember. <laughs> like looking back at the team and looking at the bench and everyone's just like, you like just just disappointed like they don't have to say anything you just look at them you're just like don't you want to sit on the bench just like embarrassed ashamed oh it's uh, brutal yeah the coach is looking at you like dude i put you out there there's only three guys we could put out there you pick you missed the whole net like yeah <laughs> get blocked that's fine but <laughs> this the net yeah, yeah. oh yeah. man so but anyway uh, back to back to yeah <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> but um yeah just to clarify i didn't just run the hurdles it was 400 meter hurdles so that's one lap with hurdles so it's, it's kind of bordering mid distance um but uh with some explosive in there as well just the fact that i have to jump the hurdles but uh yeah i think i'm not doing that anymore yeah that matches your body type though one the full like one full medium endurance person you look not like, yeah. even just like the posterior chain i, I was the way i ran too it was like in cracked i always like i ran with my chest a little bit too down which meant i had like a lot of back kick when i was running and it's not the proper way to do it but it kind of also explains like my hamstrings like in oh, yeah. my glutes too like huh. the way i tilted forward but yeah just ha isn't that crazy how the, everyone's body is just different right yeah like you would just have and like as you worked your way up they'd probably try to straighten you more out type of thing right if you got to like olympic level i don't know well how that works. i mean it's it's, it, it's just per person it's well it, ideally they were trying to work on that in the beginning but it's just like one of those things we all have our little techniques that's but, so crazy yeah it's, it's crazy and that's why i didn't know that they even had that that's really interesting because it's had based what? on like the mechanics being slightly different i just figured oh, of course in every sport there's yeah. little tiny things to fix or cool. like i people's golf swing i can't tell you the difference between a good golf swing and a, and a bad one but i'm sure a golf coach would be able to be like oh no it's a too up or too down you know so. yeah no it's just cool based on your like how your muscle yeah. balance is is mm -hmm. how you'd run too you know yeah That's, yeah makes sense though i mm -hmm. mean yeah you're gonna your body's always going to find the path of least resistance. Yeah, you know? there we go. That's the the key thing, and that's with working out, too. True. So there's this thing, and, and if you're talking, this is it falls into today's category, too, of, like, you know, how you train. And so um, the body's always going to take the path of least resistance. There's this thing called synergistic dominance, which is um, something very, it's not super common, but it, it's common enough that it can be talked about, where it's basically where if one muscle can do another muscle's action, um, it will take over for that muscle. And this happens a lot on the posterior chain for, for women, especially um, where if let's say you have an overdeveloped, um, let's say you have an overdeveloped quad, right? This is not posterior chain, but overdeveloped quad. And you're like, I'm just trying to work my hamstring, trying to work my hamstring, but you're doing all compound movements. Well, the body is just more comfortable doing the quad because your quad is so much stronger than your hamstring. That's just going to use more of that quad than the hamstring. So you got to go to isolations, right? Um, you get this happens in the shoulders and traps with sometimes with some people they're just their traps are so overly active that when they do anything like lateral raises like their traps just activate a lot more than the shoulders and so they're not getting the same activation because the, the the muscle is just so it's a body's going to take the path of least resistance and if it's yeah. easier to lift that weight with the body using a higher percentage of the trap than the shoulder then it's going to do it at that time that's like a it's a it's a way for the body to survive more than anything which is cool like um you know you think about like you know, pirates back in the days, we had these surgeries or whatever, right? They have a bad leg. Well, they they find another path to walk, right? Their body will find another path to move that leg. And so it's a it's a survival mechanism that is in us that to, okay, if that muscle's not working, let's use the one that is working and do the same motion with it because we need to be able to keep moving or else we're going to die, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like one of those things. Um, but it happens even at the smaller scale in bodybuilding. Oh, the trap is more active than the shoulder. Well, let's just keep using more of that trap um, so how do you train around that? That would be, you know, 
go through some stretching before you do your shoulders, do intraset stretching on your traps, um, you know, pick exercises that make the most sense. In legs, if your quads are being dominant, you know, use more of your hamstring, use more isolation exercises. If you have one hamstring that was injured at one time and another one that wasn't, um, and you're doing double hamstring stuff and you find the one that wasn't injured doing more of the work, then go to isolations and doing single leg. Like there's all these things that, you know, go into, come into play here. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to pause you because I think that's a really good tip that people really need to pay attention to. If you are one of those people that like, let's say when you do a lunge, you're like, I don't feel it anywhere but my quad then you need to find an isolation exercise lean more towards the isolation exercises uh, for that uh, movement, right? For Completely. your glutes, for your hamstrings. Um, because if not, those quads are just going to become stronger and stronger and stronger and the balance becomes less, uh, less good. So again, just to remind you guys, we're in a, a sport of aesthetics. So we're not really training for performance. We're training to look symmetrical and everything balanced so if something's already unbalanced and you keep training it more and more and it's getting all the all the activation it's just going to throw you off even further so one thing you didn't mention as well <clears throat> is they can also do or attempt to do a stim machine we have the the newbie yeah. newbie new fit i use it sometimes um but that's also good for kind of reactivating some of those dormant muscles yeah and that's the whole the whole theory behind the stim machine um is basically exactly what you said, waking up dormant muscle groups, um, you know, getting the highest neuromuscular activity you can during that workout, of course, in that area, and hoping after that workout's done, it carries over for a period of time where it's just, you know, you woke those muscle fibers up and now they're, you're using a higher percentage of that muscle. So, um, so yeah, um, good, good tip on that. Now, mm -hmm. um, any, I guess we'll go into like... I just want to also uh, hit a little bit more of the cardio because yeah. I think that <clears throat> there's... Because we're talking about, you know, girls that like have heavy, uh, heavy quads, um, you know, there even the variances of cardio can differ, meaning hit cardio versus long steady state cardio, even cardio equipment. So somebody that was already like quad dominant, let's say bikini competitor, which in bikini, you don't want big, heavy, blocky quads. But if that's you, uh, you probably shouldn't be doing the spin bike for cardio, you know? Um, because think about it. What are you activating when you're doing the stationary bike? Most of the time it's your quads. Okay. Um, so maybe move on to something more just like running, you know, flat running, long distance running. Um, because if you want to go into the more scientific, uh, reason why hit versus steady state for keeping muscle, preserving muscle versus maybe somebody's even trying to decrease their muscle size. Yeah. Cause that happens too. Just like you were mentioning those girls that are, more of the endomorphs, but they're trying to be bikini or maybe they're in between like wellness and they're in between wellness and bikini and like, I don't know which way to go. And they're trying to fit that bikini mold, but their legs are too big. Maybe they shouldn't be doing like hits or bursts or sprints. Maybe they should be doing just running for yeah. a long period of time. Yeah. So, and, and some of this, now, um, some of this I want to go into too is more so bodybuilder theory than proven science right, right? more some of it's bro you, science. i'm going to use your also i like <laughs> your uh analogy the blacksmith arm yeah so even though the black the blacksmith arm is when one arm becomes really big in comparison to the other because they keep hammering with that same arm yep. right kind of like if you were to do that with the spin bike it's not necessarily lifting but you're using that same motion over and over and over and over yeah so and this is some of the things that are like more common sense, right? Right. That are like the arguments are common sense because if you go to 
um, and I've been these, you know, whether it's like a training workshop or whatever it is, they're going to say, okay, <coughs> there's uh, aerobic and anaerobic exercises. And um, when any, anything that goes, at least that's what it used to be. I haven't been in school in a long time, but they used to say anything past 25 reps becomes a aerobic exercise, right? Aerobic activity, which would mean you're not going to build any muscle with it because it's an aerobic activity, right? So um, because you're doing more cardio based, so you're using your muscle for endurance, it's not going to be done. Any, no muscle building is going to happen, right? But then common sense and you're like, are you sure? Because I've seen guys that are cyclists. <laughs> oh yeah. They don't train their quads They're for juicy. anything outside of biking and they have some big ass quads. Juicy quads. <laughs> those those uh or like the the skater like the speed skaters, right? Mm -hmm. In the Olympics. I'm like, that is past 25 strides that they're taking when they're yeah. doing that, when they're doing that speed skating. Oh yeah, even just and, the long distance cyclists, there's their quads oh, are yeah. juicy too. Super, right? Like you see them and I'm like, man, they look like They're you know, all like that too. It's like not wellness, just a wellness one. boys. Yeah, wellness boys. <laughs> wellness boys. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So obviously something's happening. They are building muscle. There's no way to really refute that when you see it like visually. Right. But yeah, you're like, well, but it's, they're doing aerobic activity though. How are they building so much muscle? Well, it is possible to build muscle doing aerobic activity. Um, obviously they're doing, now they're doing hit cardio when, even when they're doing their long distance steady state cardio. Um, and then a lot of these scenarios, the cyclists at least, cause they're going uphill and then it's like a hit and then it's cruising, still going fast and then uphill again. And then it's, so it's all these different speeds and whatnot. So um, the argument's like, okay, is it the hit, the temporary hits that's causing that or is it the whatever? But either way, they're doing aerobic the whole time, right? By by definition. So yes, you can build muscle. So if you're quad dominant, then you probably don't want to go on the cycle, the, the, the cycle, right? Um, so the, uh, the same thing happens with just time and degree of these things. So if you are really juicy in the quads, yeah, you're probably going to do less hit cardio um, and maybe do more endurance-based activity. Cause even if you do just a little bit more endurance-based activity, maybe you will lose a little bit more of that quad by doing some, you know, steady state walking or doing a, um, you know, people are really, I don't see the stair mill causing that much quad growth personally. Uh, I do see people wanting to avoid it. So I haven't really seen too much of it. You know, I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of women avoid it and I've seen them go to it. I've never seen the quad like growth that they worry about with it. So I'm still on the fence with that one. Um, someone who has bigger quads where maybe they're overdeveloped, I'll, I'll tend to stay away from it unless the, they're not giving enough, they're not losing enough on the treadmill, then I'll put them to it. But um, that's, a, that's another thing that people talk about all the time is, oh, should I avoid the stairs because my quads are too dominant? And I'm like, ah, eh, I don't see it happening that much. I don't see it like someone developing quads on the stair mill doing steady state cardio. So so yeah, as far as should you avoid, if you have bigger quads and you have overdeveloped quads, yes, I'm going to go more of an endurance activity. If you're an ectomorph with small legs, I'm going to probably do more hit cardio to try to hopefully build some legs up. If you're someone who lacks uh, the density of the legs, I'll probably do more hit cardio too. I'm hoping to get them a little more dense. If you're someone who's overly dense on the legs, I'll probably do more steady state too. So mm -hmm. um, will that actually work or is it just the, the exercises itself? I don't know. It's a, We combine so many things that I'm not sure if that's what works, more of a right. bodybuilder science that I, I use for that. And so, um, but if someone has overdeveloped quads, you'll see me reduce their quad exercises quite a bit and give them endurance cardio. So which one's doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but. It's like one of those things that, uh, better safe than sorry, yeah. right? So is it that that's causing the, the big quads? Maybe, maybe not. But just like we approach many other things, like why keep it in when there could be a better alternative? Yeah. Maybe it's affecting you, maybe not, but just to be on the safe side. Yeah. Let's exactly. just take it out. 
That's why I get a lot of questions on peak week because I do really clean peak weeks. I'm like, okay, cut your artificial sweeteners that week. And I'm, I'm actually a lot less crazy about it than I used to be. Now it's like just the week of. I'm, I'm like, too. You know, I, yeah. I've been more generous with my yeah. sweeteners as well. Yeah. Because I find that it really hasn't made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, and you've done so many peak weeks that it's like, it's obvious now, right? With so, the exception of some sweeteners, some of them will definitely will. Yeah. But like stevia should be fine. Yeah. Sickler should be fine too. So I've been, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, okay, cut them the, the days, the, the last few days before the show as like a just in case, you know, it's always like a just in case. And then people will be like, well, can I eat this? Can I eat this? Can I eat this? And I'm like, Probably. You probably can, but just in case, what if it makes you 1% better to just clean up your diet for three, four days, right? Like it's probably healthy for you to get it out of your system for a few days, right? If, if it's, if, if at all, but it's definitely not going to make you worse. Yeah. So, but will that make you 1% better? Maybe. And if we do six things that make you 1% better, you're 6% better. So why don't we just do that for four days and stop complaining about not having whatever it is for, for like three days, <laughs> like just you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of one of those things, but it, you know, probably a lot of them don't make sense, but we're just doing it anyway. You know? So it's just, that's bodybuilding. You're not gonna be able to figure every single thing out forever. So a lot of these things are kind of like, well, just in case, you know, maybe it'll make you just a tiny bit better. So, um, yeah, there you go. Now, um, going into the weights and, oh, we already kind of did that. Um, the newbie training versus veteran lifter. I guess we go into weights and for each type too. Um, so like a newbie training versus a veteran lifter for body types. This is going to be a pretty good one because this does vary a lot based on experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, okay. And I, I like this one because a lot of times people want to know when they've reached their genetic potential, you know, they're like, when do I reach my, and it's just, and so you guys know the short answer to that there's no way of knowing and no matter, you know, it's, it's really, really hard to figure out when you've reached your kind of genetic threshold for when you're going to just start gaining that one to two pounds a year of muscle. It's really hard. And that's basically where you reach it is when you're doing everything perfectly and you make very little progress. You make like one pound progress a year, maybe like for a female, like one pound, two pound progress a year. Um, and that's after, you know, if you're doing everything perfectly, because that's the problem is that when people ask that a lot of times they're not doing things perfectly. I'll get that question a lot. Like, it'll be like, I've been lifting for 10 years. Have I reached my genetic potential? And I'm like, it could be, but I don't know what you've been doing those 10 years every single year. Have you been following your meal plan perfectly? You've been working out hard with intentions perfectly? You know, are you doing all these things perfectly? Then if so, then probably yes at this point. But if you're doing everything half-assed, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, probably not. And I've had some people who like will go 10 years and then they go on a program and then they do everything right. And all of a sudden they're exploding with muscle. And I'm like, well, you were doing a lot of things wrong. Don't give me the credit. Cause like you just weren't lining over all these things, right? You know, you weren't eating enough protein. You weren't working out with the volume intensity, all that. So, um, that's the, that's the, um, the important one. So your newbie lifters, you're going to make your most amount of muscle gain your first year. Um, the second year you're going to make right around half of that, a little bit more than half of that. And, and as a realistic rule of thumb, um, let's say it's an average 120 pound bikini competitor for someone of that size. It's going to be probably in that eight pound marker, like that first year, very first year of lifting. That's a lot of muscle in a year. And then after that four to five pounds, and then after that another year, so we're going one year each time is going to be, you know, one to three pounds, the third year, maybe a two to two to four pounds, the third year. And then the fourth year, like one to three pounds, that's typically how it goes. And it just tapers down. So once you reach that point, things are going to change quite a bit. So I say, if you're a newbie lifter within your first two years of lifting, do, do as much perfectly as you can, because you can get the, the most benefit from it at that time. 
um, you know, really go after it, really study the sport, really do your meal plan right, really do your workouts with intention because you're going to get so much bang for your buck every rep that someone like Ashley is not going to get anymore because she's past that two-year, three-year time frame. So, you know, your reps count like for like probably one and a half of each of Ashley's, which, mm-hmm. which is just, you're going to get there too. And it's just eventually, and you see these bodybuilders who do this and people are like, are you sure that happens? I'm like, dude, I'm positive it happens. Look at these bodybuilders. They'll, they'll be on stage at the highest level, the biggest men in the world. They get on stage. Then the next year, they're like, oh, he made huge, pro- huge progress this year. Then no, he looks so much better. He gained one and a half pounds. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, dude, he's got, he's, he's one, he's 250 pounds to start, to like start with. And he only gained one and a half, two pounds. And you're one to gain five pounds as a 120 pound bikini competitor five years in. Like, let's be realistic. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's just not, you know, so. I did want to point out though, uh, with with the newbie lifter, you probably will require a little more uh, rest. Yes. So more rest days. So um, for me, I don't really need them as frequently as somebody that's like just beginning. Because if you're a newbie lifter, you're uh, not used to it, you know. So you might need like a day, maybe two per week at least to recover, uh, so that you can uh, heal those muscles and get back to it. It's funny because I like posted the other the other week. I posted like. Uh, a training split. Um, and it was a seven day training split because, uh, I go through periods where like, if I'm close to a show, I might work out like seven days. Uh, if I'm not, I'll work out six. Um, and sometimes I'll take a whole freaking week off as you know. Um, but it caused like a lot of controversy because they're like, I didn't see that. Whoa, seven days. What? You don't have a rest day. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, dude, if I train biceps, like, that's not going to, like, put me out. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, I trained biceps. Like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, full rest like, day. <laughs> I mean, I just can't make it through the day. I just, you know what I mean? I'm just like, maybe it's just because I am a veteran lifter. So, to me, like, yeah, I'll train, like, seven days. It's nothing because I, you know, not every day is, like, a heavy leg day. Some days it's, like, okay, it's, like, an, uh, a bicep pump, you know? Yeah. And I'm just, but some people really were just, like, shocked. They're, like, what you need a rest day i'm just like i don't know because it's funny because some people will do like an hour of cardio every day of their life um but like to me that's more exhausting than doing a bicep workout yeah i need more recovery from the hour of cardio than i would like a bicep workout for sure unless these are just like newbie people that maybe they really do need it i don't know i think we kind of i think we use the overtraining a little too like our sport is it's super hard to overtrain. I know sport. people yeah. like to really use yeah. that so they can take breaks, but yeah. it's hard. I, I would love to take every person who said they're overtraining and put them through one regular day of like an NCAA basketball player's routine. You know? Yeah. Then they'd be like, okay, I'm nowhere near <laughs> overtraining. Like just a regular day of them just like starting season is like, you know, the morning, morning drills, nighttime practice, weight room, and probably something else, you know, like it's, yeah, it's like six hours of working out a day. And like they're like, oh, you're you're overtraining with your one hour of bicep curls? You know, Less like, than that. Jeez. Like, it's like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. It just, it's like, I don't know. It blows my mind that people think that like if I train like a biceps or something, it's going to just put me out. But, you know, I do listen to my body. If I ever need a rest, I take one. But I don't think I need one as much as somebody that's beginning, obviously. Yeah, that's going to be a thing. You know, you train your body to, to every time you work, you work your body you're basically creating a stress to your body. So it says, okay, I'm going to be better prepared for that the next time you try to do that to me. So that's the reason that you do a 10 pound curl and you do it 10 times. And the next time you go to the gym, you do a 10 pound curl and you do it 11 times. 
because the body said, okay, Adam's doing something now that requires me to lift this weight this many times in this fashion. So I'm going to be recover. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be stronger. So when he does this again, I'll be more prepared for it, right? As long as I'm creating a stress that's new to the body, the body has to find a way to adapt to it. That's why if you have a scar on your body, like any scars on your body, you just like, you can look at them. The skin is a little bit elevated where that scar is, right? Because you cut your body. It was a stress to the body and the body said, okay, I'm going to prepare myself for if that happens again. And I'm going to be more prepared for that the next time. So the skin's a little bit more elevated, right? It's called uh, super overcompensation, right? So when you're you're giving a stress to your body and it overcompensates by recovering, it's going to do that in the muscle too. So you're doing these micro trauma, these micro tears to the muscle. When you're putting it under tremendous stress, it's going to recover. It's going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So it's harder to do that to it the next time, right? So the same thing applies for frequency. You know, people think that it's just, it's just like uh, the muscle and doing 10 pounds. The next time you're going to be able to do 11. It's also the frequency. Okay, now Ashley did this. She did it four times this week. Man, that was a lot. I'm going to be prepared, and now she could do it five times because I guess we're doing that more frequently, and now it's six times, and now it's seven times, and now the body's recovering at a much faster rate, and that's why we go back to the blacksmith who's able to hammer with that same arm all day long with no problems. But if I tried to do that for one week straight, I'd be, I'd, I'd be injured by the end of the week because I wasn't prepared for that yet. But after five years of it, 10 years of lifting like you're doing, you could go blacksmith every day if you want. You're not going to yeah. have any problem with the arm. But yeah, it's a it's a time thing. So at fr- so yeah, first, you're having, swinging that heavy hammer, you're probably going to have two days max. <laughs> you need a recovery period, you know, a day off, a day rest. So yes, you're training not just your muscles to get stronger, but your ability to recover is going to get mm-hmm. faster. Um, you're going to build up this this tolerance to being able to do things for longer periods of time, just like, just like anything, you know? When you're a baby and you're trying to walk across the room, you couldn't walk very far without falling over, right? Now you can walk around the, around the world one time, right? So um, it's, it's all these things just are micro progressions that we don't really even recognize in the body's amazing machine compensating for what you're doing to it and, and mm-hmm. being more prepared for whatever it is and in either direction, you know? So Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so newbie training versus veteran training, yes. As Ashley pointed out, you're going to be able to get away with more. You're going to be able to get away with more volume. You're going to be able to get more frequency, that's why you see these girls, like if the prep house girls we had this year with was Elizabeth and, and Tina. Um, they were working out twice a day for 10 weeks, six days a week, you know, legs and, or glutes every day of those, of, of that, every single day of the six days for 10 weeks straight, twice a day doing either, yeah, something in the glutes. So it doesn't make sense. I'm the first one to tell you, and I put that workout together. It doesn't make logical sense, but they didn't overtrain. They both had a really good season and Ashley prepped Tina to get a pro card. Like it, she had the best glutes she ever had. Like, so tell me it didn't work, right? <laughs> Cause I got proof in the, I got, we got a pro card in the pose room telling you it did. So like there's, there's, you know, things that just don't make a lot of sense sometimes on paper, but we got to look at the actual the, the person who's doing it mm-hmm. and, and their endurance and how long they've been doing it and whatnot too. And so, yeah. So anyway, there you go. All right. Now, um, so newbie lifter, you're probably going to want to be starting to work out. A lot, a lot of times I start newbie work at newbie, like full newbies with like circuits and then work them up and do the circuits mm-hmm. for four to six weeks. And then I work them into traditional lifts at five days and then six days. And then just see how the recovery is going and go through deloads more, more often and not. Um, and then someone like you, like deload is pretty much, like after the Olympia or if you need it after a, a period of time, but it's not like a requirement so often. For yeah. You. For yeah. me, it's more of like a mental thing. I'm just yeah. like oh, a lot of just, I just want to, 
you know, not think about working out for a week just because I do get over it at some point. (laughs) Yeah, some people, it's like they physically need it, you know, and it's like, all right, yeah, take it every eight weeks if you need it, you know, type of thing. And then some people, it's it's just, you know, mental clarity. And yeah, it's been a long time. We probably should do it. It's not like a requirement, you know, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. So I would say as well, though, it's like some like. Like I, w- I mentioned, it's important to like listen to your body if you need it or not. And, you know, c- you could be dealing with a slight amount of injury uh, without uh, paying much attention to it. But that could also be a benefit as well. That's mo- mostly due to like overuse kind of stuff, which thankfully in bikini, we don't deal with much. It's funny because like when I did college track, I had so many overuse injuries and it's not going to I've had zero in bikini. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. I in track I had like shin splints, bursitis, tendonitis, stress fractures. Sports are so much So yeah, a lot yeah. of overuse injuries. Yeah. But none in bikini so far, not good. Yeah. Yeah. Even like yeah, I'm I'm con my wrists and my shoulders are constantly beat up from from what I'm even my feet from just the boxing. Like it's just constant with constant pain. And I'll be like, Oh, I gotta take the weekend off and like you know, like a shoulder's been go to a chiropractor, go to cold bath, cold baths, all these things. And you're like, just in bodybuilding, it's just like, oh, I'm a little sore. <laughs> I'm a little sore. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how people underestimate it. It's because they didn't play sports going into this is why yeah. they don't realize like it's so much worse it for is. you. It it's really so is. Much worse for your joints and body. One more right. thing I wanted to add with the newbie lifters, especially don't put so much focus on how much weight you're lifting more so about the form. And are you feeling it? Right. Um, it's funny because some people will ask me, like, how much weight should I be using? How much weight should I be using for the, my uh, shoulder press? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> What's challenging for you? I'm, what I use isn't going to translate to what you use. But it's important to challenge yourself but not really push the weights just to see how much you can lift. Again, we're in aesthetic sports. Not We're not seeing how much we can actually lift for one rep max. So that can also be applied to a veteran lifter as well. Obviously form is more important than the actual weight you use to an extent. I know those last few reps might be a little sloppy. That's okay. You pushed it to failure, but like as a newbie competitor, don't be like, Oh, she was lifting 20 pounds. I got to do that too. And then their reps are all like sloppy and stuff. It's important to develop good form, really important to, to develop good form and really pay attention to what, muscles you should be activating in that exercise so it's good to get those uh good habits going so you don't form bad ones and then it just follows you throughout your career yeah i would say that and and track your weights too because we don't you just need to create a stimulus and if your first time in the gym 10 pounds is light you're still doing something that your body hasn't done you know you're lifting a 10 pound curl 10 times you write that down the next week you do 10 pound curl 11 times or 12 times and you do it with good form and you squeeze real hard, that's still more than your body was doing before. So that's still a stimulus to the body, right? So you just, you know, your progression is going to be different than everyone else's um, and don't get caught up in the weight. You're definitely right about that. Cause I get that question a lot too. And I'm like, I have no idea how much you're going to lift. Like whatever. <laughs> do sound- you even know how much I lift? Yeah. It's- I mean, I don't even know how much I lift. Yeah, it's what, different every day. <laughs> when, when I train with Ashley, I like, I'll go to these different gyms. So that all of them weigh different. Yeah. And I don't know. So I'll, I'll put the pin in the thing and I'll like pull on the cable to see. I'm like, oh, that's about, that's about right. right. <laughs> I give it to him. Like, let's just do whatever you fail at somewhere here. And like, if it's too easy of a set, then we raise it up one pin. Yeah. You know, that's just how, you know, how it goes when you're going to all these different gyms. Uh, you know, it's funny. We went to, uh, I went to torture gym. <laughs> this is funny. It's, it's funny. Uh, went to torture gym yesterday. So I was like, you know, it's another cool gym in, uh, in Vegas. So shout out to them. It was a cool, cool little gym. And then they had that weights and kilos. And then they had like a big 10, a big 10 kilo. 
And Kimber's like, the weights are big here. Because <laughs> it, it was 25, you know, because it was a 10 kilo plate. And then she was like, she's like, these are heavy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's kilograms, baby. It's kilograms. Uh, so cute. It was so funny because the, you know, it's a big plate for the for the 25. It was really funny. Uh, that was a good, that was a funny moment. <laughs> I thought it was cute. I just got, you got to love her, you know? All right. So um, explaining body fat distribution is different and explaining muscle development is different. So, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we, there's... Everyone has like an area that they put on more fat than the others. You can't pick and choose where you want the fat to go. That would be nice. You know, I want the fat to go here or ideally just evenly distributed. Right. But that's not how it works for most people. And some people it's more prominent than others. Like, you know, we see competitors that like they're super, super lean everywhere except for maybe their midsection. And it's like, well, what do you do? You know, because if you get leaner, I mean, it's just going to make those already extremely too lean body parts even more so too lean. But then again, it makes your, your midsection look a little bit better. So, um, you know, the ideally, if you build a little more muscle in that area, it makes it project out more, which gives the appearance that it's, it's you know, leaner. But not uh, not a perfect scenario, but it is what it is. Yeah, and that's uh, the best thing, and I use it all the time, is your description of the pool, drinking yeah. water from the pool. You know, if you store body fat more so on your glutes, that's going to be probably the last bit of water to leave the pool. You know, the she describes it as the the water at the deep end of the pool, that's going to be the water that drains last. And if you have, you store body fat on your glutes and that's the the more you store it and the hardest it is for you to lose it, well, that's the last water that's going to leave. So you're going to have to lose everything, maybe in um, accession to get that body fat off of you and your glutes. And then you're going to have to pose everything softer to have your glutes look just the same. So it is different for everyone. Um, body fat distribution is a, is a tough one because, you know, very rarely. Now I will say, if you're someone who struggles with body fat, I will say 90% of women store body fat on their glutes, their thighs and their triceps. That's where most, that's like the common place for women to store body fat. That's the whole pear versus apple body type. Apple is going to be the guy mostly where they store it all on their waistline. Um, a big, a big, big contributor to why guys tend to not live as long. So they store more weight on their chest area. Um, and women store more body fat farther away from the heart area. So, um, you know, there's less, less pressure on it all time. So that's another, another, uh, thing. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, we do have tradition. That's like your typical body fat distribution on women and on men separately. So, Yeah. So something to think about, and if you're one of those people that just store body fat on your legs and thighs, just know you know 90% of all the other girls also store on their legs and thighs and on their triceps. So just this, the way that we're all built, um, and the, the ways around that is exactly how Ashley talked about, is building more muscle and building muscle to push through the fat. Uh, a lot of the, and that's something that you see with the bodybuilders of today, um, not being as lean as the bodybuilders of years back. Well, the reason is, is that they don't need to be as lean. They are a lot more muscular. So why would they, if the muscle is showing through just as much as it was back then, why lean out even more when it's unnecessary type of thing? So the older bodybuilders are like, oh, they're not as lean as, they're not as lean as we were. And I'm like, yeah, but they're 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> like they're, they're way bigger. They don't need to be as lean. They look just as lean. You just know they're not because you got an eye for it, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's, that, that's why you see that because the muscle is going to pop through that. So yeah, you probably got to develop your tines a little bit more because you, you know, you're going to, you, you know, you're going to have to store more body fat there. It's just the way it is. Um, you're gonna have to develop your tines a little bit more. You're gonna develop your glutes a little bit more. So it pops through the body fat that's still there. You probably have to diet a little bit longer these days to get those tines be a little bit tighter. And, uh, and it is, it is what it is there, but everyone's dealing with the same thing there. So, um, there are some scenarios where you'll have 
tough body fat distributions though, where someone, let's say they don't store any body fat on their legs. So their legs look like really stringy to get their, and they have to get that lean to get their waist to get tight. And that's a, that's a tough one. There's not the, the way around that one is you're gonna have to build your legs pretty big to offset it, you know, and hope that they don't look too dense and strided once they're that lean. And that's not, it's easier said than done. So, um, there are some things that are going to be tough ones, but there's always ways to work around it potentially. Um, Will you reach a limit at a certain point of like, let's say a pro career? Possibly. It's definitely possible. I've seen it. I've seen it a few times and you know, you do run into that genetic thing at the upper, upper tiers, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't run into that too often at the lower levels. Um, and even sometimes at a national level, you generally won't run into it. Where you run into is where you really start climbing and, and climbing the ranks and this being just something you can't work past for some other people who just don't have that genetically. Cause there, that does come into a, a, a effect eventually, you know, just like any sport, you know, if you have, um, you know, a boxer with really long reach, like there's just something eventually where you get to that high level, you're just not going to be able to get past that reach. Your reach mm-hmm. is too short at the lower levels. No problem. But at the higher levels, you know, you're just not gonna be able to hang with that guy. He's got six inches reach on you. What are you going to do? So it's, it's just, that's the same thing with, with all sports. You know, I'm not going to go and, and slam dunk over Shaq, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> this is not, it's not my day <laughs> against that guy, you know, so it's, that's all sports. So just something to think about. Um, but hopefully you can find a way around um, most of them. And at the lower levels, you shouldn't have too many issues. So mm-hmm. absolutely. But just know we all have our pluses and minuses. So uh, you're not the only one, you know, whether that be uh, a weird distribution of body fat or maybe a stubborn muscle that you can't grow. So that leads me into the next point. What do you suggest for somebody that has like an extreme lagging body part muscular uh, muscular wise? Like, um, you know, I, I say my tip would be prioritize that muscle um, and make sure it gets it gets all the attention. Well, yep. most of your attention, not all attention. Uh, so whether that means like training that particular body part maybe three times a week instead of just one, uh, perhaps that means uh, even doing like a carb spike day around that body part training day you could do. Uh, but uh, that's also a thing that happens. We all have our, our lagging body parts. We already know what mine is. So Yeah, that's a that one is, there's a, so it's a multi-layered question. You first, so let's say it's a really tough body part um, to work on. First, you want to do is you want to look at look at someone's, um, look at their postural alignment and see if there's anything that's going to be impeding the uh, the ability for that muscle to contract a lot, right? Um, what's the, the commonalities of that, right, between people? So um, looking at, for you, for example, like your shoulders, you didn't have any issues with your shoulders of your postural alignment where that would be an issue. Could it have been an issue though? Yeah. If you had, let's say like a protracted shoulder girdle, um, which basically means like you have a lot of rounding to the front of your shoulders and you had, let's say lagging rear delts, right? So the, the protracted shoulder girdle is like when you're, you're rounded like this. A lot of people who work at desks are like this. Um, what happens when this, this happens? Well, when I'm, when I'm like in this position and if you're listening, I'm kind of rotated forward on my shoulders, rounded upper back um, position. Well, what happens is, um, you know, my chest is being flexed here in this position right? My front delt is being a little bit flexed in this position, but what's happening on the opposing side of that? Well, my rear delt is being stretched. My lats are being stretched, right? So of course, I'm not going to get the best rear delt development and the best lat engagement when I'm in a constant state of stretched, stretched muscle, right? So first you want to look at that and say, okay, is there anything posturally aligned that we could get better at to see if that's the issue, right? She's not contracting um, in that area. And if so, let's work on the posture. You can go to a chiropractor, have them assess that. 
um, and, and make sure that they're giving you corrective stretches to bring your body into proper alignment. Intraset stretch, when you have something like that, let's say for that example, like your rear delt, you'd stretch your chest intraset. Um, you could go through the newbie new fit sessions and make sure that you're getting the most activation that you can in that area. Um, and then when you eliminate all those other things, then you're going to want to go into exactly what you said. Um, isolation exercises, newbie new fit training, um, working them in, you know, all the time, as long as your body can handle it, make sure that you're doing exercises that where you can feel that muscle working in the way that it needs to work. If you can't activate your glutes, which seems to be dying, but it was that one was an annoying trend. <laughs> Everyone was like, I can't activate my glutes. And I'm like, you are saying what every other girl on Instagram is saying right now. <laughs> this never was a thing before. <laughs> now for six months, everyone can activate their glutes, right? Do you think you're being influenced by other people at this point? So like it's, I don't hear about it very often anymore. But man, that was a, that one was frustrating because you'd be like, "What exercises can I do?" And I'm like, "You're already doing all the exercises. You've, you've these are the same exercises. There's very rarely going to be a new developed glute exercise at this point. Like, if you're you're activating just fine. Like, so um, now the the thing is, you want to pick exercises that you feel though. Let's so let's say um, you feel nothing in your at your glutes at all, but you feel the glute kickback. We'll do ten sets of glute kickbacks, you know, to warm up and get that muscle primed. And then go into your, your hip thrust, glute bridges, right? Um, nothing wrong with that. Get that muscle activated, you know? Um, that would be the thing. But yeah, you're going to do a lot of volume. You're going to do isolation exercises. And the thing is, the farther you get in your career of bodybuilding, the less other muscles you're going to work. So um, when, when uh, let's say, okay, so Ashley has really good hamstrings at this point. Why does she need to train hamstrings seven days a week, right? Well, because she's not training them seven days a week she can go have less days on her hamstrings and put more of those days towards other muscle groups that aren't as developed. So now, okay, hamstrings are done. Checked, check off the list. Now we can train those, you know, a couple times a week, keep them there. That's one of her strong points. We do want to keep them still active because it's a strong point of her, but it's not an overdeveloped product. No one's ever said, oh, she's got too much hamstring, right? That's when you'd have to be like, okay, let's stop training those hamstrings for a while. So we take those days and we're like, let's apply it to those shoulders now. We have more time there, right? You're doing workouts for bikini and you realize, oh, I shouldn't be training chest. Like there's no benefit of you doing chest if you're a bikini athlete. Like you shouldn't be doing it. It's pretty much a waste of time. If you have a developed chest, it's probably going to hurt you more than help you. Judges don't want to see pecs on a girl in bikini. It's a fitness model competition. So if you just heard this and you're doing chest right now and you're doing it, let's say twice a week, well, hey, I just freed up two days for you to apply to shoulders, right? So you keep kind of eliminating and reducing other exercises until you build this perfect sculpture of um, bikini. And that's where um, you're going to, you know, you'll end up getting there faster and faster. Cause now not only are you doing your glutes more often, but you're able to recover at a faster rate. Cause you've been doing it for a longer period of time now. So now all these things are adding up in succession. And then you're the next thing, you know, you have the perfect bikini sculpture after, you know, a year's time, which if you would have stayed with that same split would have taken you three years time. So yeah. Amen. That was a long one, huh? Yeah. I wanted a t- little bit of a tangent there. Oh, it was very helpful information. Round up. Round up. <laughs> <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, next one. Um, common bikini flaws. Did you cover this one, Ashley? Yeah. We'll go into it very quickly because we have uh, almost out of time today. Uh, you know, quads being too big and dense and lean. We already kind of went over that a lot. But another uh, issue is people with blocky waists. That's uh, one of the things in bikini that can definitely hurt your your placing is having a blocky waist. So, um, you know, that's one of those things. It's hard to change genetically. 
I would say make sure digestion's on point. Uh, make sure you avoid uh, exercises that would activate your obliques. And also sometimes even going as far as uh, reducing your uh, some compound movements because that's very much uh, likely to engage your core. Now that's pretty extreme though. So with the blocky waist too, one thing you can do is if you can't change it, you build around it. So make everything else kind of bigger to give the appearance that your your blocky waist isn't as blocky as it actually is. So building those shoulders, building the back, you know, even the quad sweep a little bit to an extent. So this can help uh, reduce the appearance of a blocky waist. Yeah. Um, and then if you have that, then um, working with a, a solid posing coach too to have you transition without yep. exposing your waist and pose for a smaller waistline. And, and you know, there are, there are girls who are doing it at a high level that have blockier waists that are, you know, they're very good with how they're posing. You know, you hide your, hide your weaknesses, show your strengths. Um, and, but you, you pretty much covered all that too. Yeah. I think you got all that covered. Um, yeah, yeah there's really nothing else there, but yeah, that's definitely part of it. Absolutely. So a last question before we end today's uh, podcast, Adam, um, if you could answer the question, is there a difference between training for muscle growth versus training to get lean? And this is not including cardio. This is talking strictly weights. No. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, uh, you might there. And the where this gets messed up is all these like seven minute ab videos and these workout videos, what are like, you know, lean out with this work at 30 minute workout videos. And then it somehow gets put into like our bodybuilding world. The leaning out is always going to happen with the diet. It's always going to happen with the diet and, you know, the more it's, it's always going to be that calorie balance thing. Move more, eat less. That's how you're going to lean out. It's not going to be with your exercises. Um, there was a, you know, at one time, Phil Heath made a great, great example of this question because people was like, oh, do you, cause people kept asking him, do you train your rep range, change your rep range when you're getting ready for the Olympia? And he was like, why would I change my rep range? Like he goes, it's been working this whole year. And now when it's the most important, I'm going to try something different. And he's like, no keep it the same all year long. You know, I keep it the same in my rep range because I'm going to do what's working to build muscle. I'm not going to go to something that potentially could cost me muscle, like higher reps because I think it might burn an extra few calories. Because, you know, when we think about it, that's where it comes in is people think, oh, I'll go high reps, I'll burn more calories. Well, um, not really. You're not really going to burn that many more calories. And, and really the calories that you will burn, you could make up for if you, if you put probably five more minutes of cardio that you would have if you did 25 reps versus 12. But the, the key with you going into prep is keeping muscle. That's always the key. It's not about building muscle at that point. If you can build muscle, I mean, hats hats off to you, but you're generally going pretty hard to build into a show. There's pretty rare that people can actually like grow into a show. Um, so you're just trying to keep into a show. So you need heavy weight, you need hard lifts, um, you need to stress the muscle. That way your body hangs onto it because otherwise the body's going to say, hey, I'm not eating enough. I'm not really lifting that much weight anymore as I was before because you're going easy now. Now you're going with higher reps and lower weight. I don't have the same stress that I had before. I'm not eating that much. Um, let's get rid of some of this stuff that's burning all these calories. And what's that? That's muscle, right? And that's why you lose some muscle during that time period because your body's trying to find, again, path of least resistance. What's the easiest way to live to get there? That's all the body thinks about. What's the easiest way to do it? Well, the easiest way is get rid of some of this, some of this gas-consuming <laughs> muscle that I'm, that I'm carrying around. Even if it's just a couple pounds, it might be 20 calories a day, you know? So what you're trying to do is you're trying to fight that and you need to give yourself some hard lifts. Definitely don't make it easier by doing just circuits and things like that at the end. You keep those lifts the same. You know, you're going to, it's always eat, uh, 
eat less, move more. That's how you're going to burn the, burn the fat off the muscles. It's not going to be, um, you know, do 25 reps versus 20 reps, which I guess does go against what I just said. Cause that is moving more technically. So I, I, bur- I burned myself there. <laughs> burned myself twice. That's a second burn degree burn. Burn yourself like a calorie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was dumb. <laughs> so, um, just to kind of clarify, or I guess uh, pick your brain a little further before we end. Yeah. So if somebody was used to doing like eight to 10 reps, and let's say they did try 25 reps. Wouldn't that create any stimulus, even though the weight is not as um, high? So, you, yeah, when we're talking about raw stimulus of like just creating a stimulus, yeah, but it would be more in the endurance muscle fibers too. But um, there's nothing wrong with that. If if you're constantly changing your workouts, I guess I should, because that is a good question on yeah. that. Because it, let's say... Um, Cause I'm a fan of burnout reps too. Yeah. Just so you know, I love me some burnout reps. Okay. So this goes, <laughs> this does go farther, which is actually really cool. Cause I, I never talked about this, but it does go farther. Okay. So here's the thing about low reps versus high reps. Um, what we're trying to do is create a stimulus on the muscle. And this was a cool study that, that um, I read a long time ago and uh, maybe someone could find it. I, for, I totally, I've read so many of these things that I forget like where they are and whatnot, but um, essentially they were testing what is a superior method of building muscle and creating a stimulus through exercise? And the thought process was, just because of how I kind of explained and led to earlier, is that heavy weight is always going to be the best way to create a stimulus, right? And build muscle, that low rep, high high weight stuff, right? So um, because you're going to engage more of the white muscle fibers, right? And that was always the answer. That was always like the question. Okay, do you engage more of the white muscle fibers or if you get to a rep range where it's realistic, not 50 reps or anything like that, or if you get to a rep range where you're still reaching failure, let's say it's 20, and you're reaching failure, is that just the same stimulus with reduced risk of injury as doing six to eight with extremely heavy loads? And everyone said, oh, no, there's no way because your white muscle fibers aren't going to be as stimulated. They'll, they'll do a little bit, but they won't be as stimulated. It's gonna, you're going to engage more red muscle fiber when you're lifting a weight that you can lift 20 times. Like It's just it's unnecessary to recruit those white muscle fibers at that ability of lifting weights because it's so relatively light to the muscle fibers abilities right so um so what they did is they tested they tested engagement they tested all these things and they found that um yes they were right the red muscle fiber did come into action earlier on in the rep range but what was strange what they didn't find uh, what they didn't see coming was that the white muscle fiber once the red muscle fiber was extremely exhausted actually started coming up again in higher higher rate of use oh, towards the like, end. like, hey, I got you. You're tired. I got you now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm. So it went from a white muscle fiber being the only thing being able to use, right? Or mostly being able to use because it, the weight's too heavy. The red muscle fiber couldn't support it. It could only give a little bit of that action to, as a supporting system. And then went to, you know, mostly red because the white muscle fiber wasn't necessary. Then the white muscle fiber kind of came in to take over when the white muscle fiber was fatigued. So kind of a cool, kind of a cool thing. So can you create a stimulus through um, through either mechanism? Yes. So the key is that you don't decrease the the uh, intensity of the yes, lifts within that, it. Just because it's lighter and do more reps, it shouldn't be easier. Yes, it's all about intensity uh, intensity versus actual reps. So the to to put a final thing on that, if you're switching from let's say eight reps to twelve reps um, throughout the year, then you're going to twenty reps. Uh, 15 to 20 reps and you're doing it like every other month or however you're doing it it as long as you're creating the same level of intensity is really the most important thing but yes if you're going to something like 50 reps you're gonna do that all the time or doing circuit training in your prep because you think it's going to burn more calories you're i don't recommend that at all i think that's going to hurt you but yes as long as you're creating intensity behind things then you're going to be um 
you're going to be just fine. You should be able to keep your muscle, but it's all about that intensity. Your body's not going to want to hold on to the muscle when it's in these extreme calorie restrictions. So you're going to need to create a stimulus to keep it. And even more so when you're working out with less calories than when you have more calories. So there you go. Heck yeah. That was kind of fun. That was a great episode. Thanks for watching. Yeah. Sorry. I had, I had to, I going into this episode, as you guys, you know, I did a lot of talking here. Going into this episode, I'm not trying to over-talk. Ashley, she said, hey, my I voice, said, you're going to probably have to talk a lot this Yeah, time. I said, Adam, please, you're going to have to do <laughs> most of the talking because I don't sound very pleasant and people will tune out. <laughs> so, But also, this is definitely an hey, top. People appreciate you hanging in there with this one. I, people are going to be like, she's a trooper. I'm you know? here for the thumbnail. You know? <laughs> the thumbnail will not change. The quality of the thumbnail will be at its best as always. So. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much. Talk to you next week.